Scott Langemeyer is here, one of our missionaries. The church has supported for years. Grew up in Alliance, so he's kind of a local guy. And um, he, he and his family, his wife and three daughters have served in Switzerland for years. And so um, I remember when I first got to the church, I got to hear Scott preach. <laughs> and uh, so it's fun to have him back. He's a great communicator and, uh, and just a heart for God. And you're going you're gonna to be blessed by his message. So Scott, would you come up and let me pray over you? Um, would you all pray with me over Scott and his family and then bring the message. God, thanks for um, Scott and his wife and his daughters. And God, thanks for the way you raised them up to serve you and to uh, follow your, your leading on their lives. And so I just want to pray for continued protection over them. I want to pray provision over them and direction. And God, would you just fill them with energy and encouragement. And God, thanks for having them here this weekend and just speak to us through Scott as he brings us your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much, John. Yeah, my wife and I, our family, we've also been serving for the past 10 years in intercultural missions. Uh, we, that's probably why when you hear my English, you might say, well, where is that guy from? If they said he's from Alliance, he sure doesn't sound like it. Uh, but we've been in Chile, in South America, in Germany. Now we're in Switzerland. And we're very passionate about seeing God's kingdom be recognized for what it is, for, for people coming to a saving faith in Christ and for lives to be transformed with the gospel. And we're very passionate about serving interculturally. We see a big need in Europe for the gospel, a place where for 500 years ago the Reformation took place, uh, roots within our faith, and today very little churches, very little uh, spiritual impact. But with the gospel we see how lives are being transformed. And for me, it is a tremendous, surreal experience to stand before you today uh, to see a church that so faithfully supported us as a family for so many years when I know that God's kingdom is big, when I know that there's many places a church and individual people can invest in too, and to know that you faithfully walk side, alongside of us, to have us be ambassadors as we're on the field, to be part of this church still, although we're not here every Sunday, is really just so, so impactful. So, so from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for your faithfulness. Thank you for your faithful support. Uh, and just thank you for your guys' hearts for God's mission around the world. I've brought a small little video that I'd like to show now. Uh, my wife sadly can't be here today, but she also wanted to send her love and greetings to you as a church. Hello, Mitchell church family. We uh, would love to be sitting with you too right now, but sadly the girls have school, so we couldn't uh, fly over with Scott, but we wanted to send a little greeting and say hello from our side as well. We're here with, who are you? Sophia and Lucy. And my name is Mani, and I wish that I could be with you spending the Sunday together, but we send you a lot of love and uh, greetings from Switzerland. Can you say bye-bye? Bye-bye. So I'm back for two weeks here in western Nebraska, and my wife is alone with our three kids. Uh, you can imagine how much work that is for her. Uh, I sent her a picture of me eating with my parents yesterday and the emojis she, she sent back to me wasn't necessarily full of joy because she had three little kids that she had to put in bed and I was able to enjoy the evening. Um, yeah, so you can definitely be praying for her in these two weeks. I know that she would appreciate it. 
Do you remember when car alarms first became popular? I remember when they first became popular and I would hear something happening outside and everybody would stand up. They'd run to the parking lot. They'd look around and they'd say, hey, where's the carjacker? What's going on here? But today, if you would hear a car alarm right now, you're probably going to have one of two possible responses in your heart. The first is you're probably going to say, man, I hope that's not my car. And the second one is probably someone needs to turn that alarm off because everyone knows no car is getting jacked right now. Now you're asking yourself, Scott, why are you talking about car alarms on a Sunday morning service? And I use that example because I think that it illustrates a temptation that you and I face right now. You know, I don't think I'm going to say anything new this morning that you've never heard before. And the temptation is the words that I say, the words that we read, the way in which we discover things, truths in God's word this morning, it's possible that that enters into one ear and goes right out the other without it truly impacting your heart, just like a car alarm does in the year 2023. But my hope and prayer today is as we read God's word, as we discover the truths that he has for us, that they would become real to our hearts and not just a mere intellectual exercise where we think, oh, well, that sounds good, but that it really transforms our heart. If I would ask you, If you think it's possible to find true peace in life, to find true happiness, to find true security, how would you respond? What would you say? And I'm not talking about just moments of happiness, moments of security, moments of peace. I mean, really living in a true state of peace and security to know that everything's okay. Do you think that it's possible to experience that reality? And if it is, why do we always find different times in our life that seem like a roller coaster where we're put under pressure from outside, where we're living in situations that aren't comfortable and we just want to get out, we just want to feel okay again? You know, life seems sometimes like it's a process of ups and downs, a complex situation where we run on a hamster wheel just trying to reach the end. Isaiah 30 describes people who are in a similar situation, asking similar questions. Can we really find security? Can we really have true peace? It was a time in which the people of Israel distanced themselves from God. They didn't really seek him. They didn't really care what he thought. They might even question, you know, does God even exist? And what made their situation so complicated was they were under pressure from outside from the Assyrians. Assyrians were going through and conquering one nation after the next. And so the Israelites did what you and I would probably do in the same situation. We'd say, we got to somehow protect the things that we have. We've got to protect the life that we've spent our whole lives building up. The securities that we think that we have, we have to protect them somehow. And so the Israelites did what you and I are constantly tempted to do in moments of stress, in moments of uncertainty, namely return to our past, return to old habits, return to old ways of thinking, return to that what is familiar, because often the things that are familiar, even if they're bad, seem better than the new, which is uncomfortable. 
Or I'll put it another way. Often, suffering is easier than implanting solutions. Because the, the familiar, it's comfortable. We know it. Even if it's not what we necessarily like. And so we prefer the bad. We prefer the unhealthy because we're accustomed to it instead of stepping in to something new. But security, and that's the first point for this morning, security is not found in your past. Security is not found in the familiar. I want to invite you to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 30, and I'm going to read the first few verses in this chapter. And I know that when we read something from the ancient text, we all have the same temptation to start to think, ah, what am I going to have for lunch today? What do I have to do Monday morning? But I want to invite you to really dive into this text right now, although it might sound a little bit different, but we can unpack it together and discover the truths that God has for us this morning. Isaiah 30, verse 1. O stubborn children, declares the Lord, who carry out a plan, but not mine, and who make an alliance, but not of my spirit that they may, may add sin to sin, who set out to go down to Egypt without asking for my direction to take refuge in the protection of Pharaoh and to seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. So as a reminder, the Israelites had just been freed from God from the yoke of slavery in Egypt. They had prayed out to God for years, save us, save us from this bondage. And God came in a magnificent way and he showed the Israelites that he's so much more powerful, that he's so much more than what the Israelites could ever ask or imagine. And he saved them from the bond of slavery. From a theological standpoint, from an intellectual standpoint, from an emotional standpoint, the Israelites' desire now to return to Egypt to find security in their past was really just stupid. But usually when a person begins to make bad decisions, it leads to more bad decisions. And although that it's easy to see in the lives of other people, it's often hard to see in our own lives. But here we see the Israelites in a position of stress, in a complex reality, and now what they're trying to do is return to the familiar. Return to the things that they knew. Return to Egypt, although they know that it was a hopeless situation. The Israelites found themselves in a complex reality, and they returned to the past. Do you know situations like this? where you feel pressure from all sides, and you begin to say to yourself, this is never going to get better. This is only going to get worse. This might happen. That might happen. And so you return to the past. You return to the things that are familiar, and you try to grab a hold of them to find some sort of security. But friend, security is not found in your past. If I could give you one concrete application to this point, is to learn the difference in talking to yourself instead of listening to yourself. Now you're probably saying to me right now, Scott, you're just saying the same thing in two different ways. You either talk to yourself or you listen to yourself. But I think that there's a very important difference. Do you realize that the majority of unhappiness in your life comes from listening to yourself? It comes from allowing your thoughts to run free, which causes you to panic. 
You know, I don't think that the Israelites just woke up one day and said, ha, how can we make the dumbest decision that we can think of today? No, I think that they were in a position of stress, a complicated situation, and they said, what can we grab onto that makes us feel comfortable? Egypt, the past. Fear causes a person to, to make decisions that they normally wouldn't make unless they were in such a situation. But we have to learn to talk to ourselves opposed to listening to ourselves. And we see that over and over again in the Psalms. Psalm 42, 5 to 6 says, Why are you downcast, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you. You see, reminding yourself of truth, reminding yourself of God's promises, of who God is, of who God will be, frees you from so much unhappiness in life. And it saves you from making bad decisions because it reminds you of the truth, the character of who God is. And what's interesting is modern psychology tries to teach a similar principle. So if you would go to a counselor today, they would probably tell you, you know, you need to talk positively to yourself. You're not defined by your past. You need to say good things. You might need to play music that encourages good feelings and, and good words that encourage you. But the church has been doing that for thousands of years. As we sung worship this morning, on one side of things, we're singing worship to God. We're praising him for who he is. But at the same time, we're reminding our own hearts about the truth of his character. We're reminding ourselves about who he is and who he will be. And the awesome thing is, is Christianity goes far beyond modern psychology. Because modern psychology stops by saying it's enough just to talk to yourself, to listen to good music. But Christianity says through the power of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit comes into your life and takes those truths that you read, takes those truths that you sing out, and they become real to your heart. They, come a, they become a real foundation from which you can live. Through the power of the Spirit, the truths transform from just a mere intellectual experience and a real experience in your heart. Friends, security is not found in your past. Point number two. Peace is not found in the absence of conflict. See, the Israelites display in this passage a common misconception when trying to find true peace. Namely, the idea that peace is equal to the absence of conflict. In verse 8 in chapter 30, it goes on by saying, And now, go write it before them on a tablet, and inscribe it in a book, that it may be for the time to come as a witness forever, for they are rebellious people, lying children, children unwilling to hear the instruction of the Lord. And this is super important, what it says. Who says to the seers, do not see. And to the prophets, do not prophesy to us what is right. Speak to us smooth things, prophecy illusions. Leave the way, turn aside from the path. Let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. 
So in other words, the Israelites are in this position of of uncomfortable life. And what do they do? They surround themselves with people who told them what they want to hear. They avoid hearing things that make them uncomfortable and thus try to create a conflict-free situation. But deep down, I think that we all know that just avoiding conflict, hearing the things that we want to hear, doesn't really offer true peace, the true peace that our hearts long for. And I'll give you an example. This morning, I drove here with my car. And imagine as I'm driving, I hear something wrong with the motor. And I arrive and I think, you know, I'm going to go talk with Ben. He, he probably knows a little bit about cars, so I'm going to just tell him to open up my hood, tell me everything's okay so that I can drive home this afternoon and I'll just keep on going. You know, we laugh and we think that that's silly, but it's a reality that we often live with. To surround ourselves with people who tell us what we want to hear And there we think that we're living in some sort of peace, but in reality, we're probably causing more damage by not addressing the real issue. Isn't this true in our own lives? You know, we live in a place where at first glance, our our material needs are met. We have everything that we want. We, We live the life in which we say that we've always dreamed of, and we say that nothing's wrong. But I wonder, are we really that much happier? Do we really have a true peace? Or it could be that we've created an environment just like the Israelites where we only hear the things that we want to hear. Could it be that we've created an environment where we convince ourselves that peace is just the absence of conflict? But true peace is so much more. I mean, think about it. We, we tell ourselves, I'm not doing so well. I need vacation. And then you go on vacation. And two days later, you realize, ha, well, that definitely wasn't what I needed. Or you say, ah, retirement, that's what I need. Finally, I can do what I want when I want. Then you reach retirement. You realize you don't have the strength you used to have. You don't have the daily schedule that used to give you structure. And you realize, ha, that's not it either relationships, family, that's what I need. And then you realize where two or more are gathered in my name, there's conflict. And it doesn't fill you the way that you thought it would. Even as great as relationships can be, even the best relationships don't offer the peace that we search for. Last year, I had the opportunity to go with my family to Disneyland, and we did that famous picture, you know, where the whole family's there, 20 of us, and everybody's smiling, and it was a wonderful time. And as I was preparing this message, I was looking at the picture, and I thought to myself, the day will come where no one on that picture is alive. And the reality is there's going to be one person in that picture who's had to pass through the pain and the frustration of saying goodbye to the other 19 people. You see, even the best relationships don't offer us the peace that we search for. Even the best relationships don't fill us in a lasting way. And so I come back to the same question, is it possible to find true peace? Whereas life's just full of disappointments and we have to learn to deal with them. Point number three, 
The secret of true peace and true security. Now you have to imagine that the car alarm is going off right now. Inwardly, you're going to be tempted to think, yeah, I've heard it before. But let this truth sink deep into your heart. May it become real to your heart and not just a mere intellectual experience. Because what we're going to read now is so rich, it's so wonderful. In verse 15, it says, For thus said the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel. So remember the context of this passage. The people of Israel have taken distance from God. They didn't really seek him. They didn't really care what he thought. But they were under extreme pressure. Everyone was afraid they were going to lose what they had spent their entire life creating. So they tried to find peace and security in things that would never offer them the lasting peace, the lasting security that they so strongly desired. And then we read these words, For thus said Lord God, and this sets the context of everything else that follows. Because the Lord God isn't just a name like Scott Langemeyer. It's a title. It's a proclamation. It's a, a title of endless authority, of infinite knowledge, of unfathomable power. It's significant because it means the creator of all things is talking. The one that has no end and no beginning. The one who has always been and the one who will always be. And he says, in returning and rest, you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. He says, in coming to God and returning to the relationship for which you were created for, you find your peace. You find your security. You see, often I think that we believe, yeah, I want to be happy. I want to have freedom. So I just need to break through these restrictions. And I just need to do what I want, when I want, and then I'm secure. Then I'm at peace. Then I'm free. But when we recognize God as Lord, God as King, as it's written here, it makes me wonder, is true freedom just the absence of restrictions? Or is it a recognition of the right restrictions. To say that the Lord is God, to say that he is king, means that I am not. It means that he knows best, even if I don't understand all the ins and outs, doesn't mean that he, his heart isn't good, that there isn't a good reason for the things happening. And so the Lord God speaks and he says, return to me. Return to the relationship you were created for. And to live in those restrictions of a right relationship with me. And without that, it, it'd be similar to me like a fish who says, you know, I just want to live on land. You know, this water's just so restricting, I'm just going to go out and I'm going to walk. But a fish wouldn't survive outside of water. The restrictions of the water give the fish life just as the restrictions of a pure relationship with your creator fill you with life. God says, return to me. Rest in me. Trust in me. Don't try to do it on your own. That's not what you were made for. This goes completely against our cultural influence that says, take what you want. Be free. Do what you want when you want. But the Lord God, the king of the universe, says, I want to be your savior. 
But more than just your savior, I also want to be your king. You were created to be in relationship with me. And I'm ending the near, the end of, of this message this morning. And I have a good friend in Germany. I said that I live in Europe. And one thing about Europeans, especially German-speaking Europeans, is they're extremely direct. I remember one time I was going to cross uh, a crosswalk, and it was really funny because there was no cars around, right? And so even if the crosswalk doesn't say you're not allowed to walk, any person in their right mind, if they see no cars, they're still going to cross the street. And there was a lady standing there, and I went across. I looked at her, and there's no cars coming. I thought, why is she standing here? I went to take a step into the street. She grabs me by the arm and says, think about the children. There's no children here. She's maybe they're watching from the windows. Okay. But I have this good friend who's always super honest with me. And what we do, he preaches a lot, and so we evaluate each other's messages. And I, I appreciate him because he tells me, Scott, you want to know what? The introduction, that was good. The exegesis, that was good. The examples were helpful. But what am I supposed to do with it? And I've had to confess to him, you know what? For me, it's extremely uncomfortable when I stand in front of a group of people who have lots of life experience, who are maybe professional in their careers. I stand there and I say, this is the point. What are you going to do with it? And I read the end of this passage and I see how the Israelites respond. The Lord God says, in returning and in rest you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. But you were unwilling. And you said, no, we will flee upon horses. Therefore, you shall flee away. And so this morning, I don't want to talk to the person next to you. I don't want to talk to the person behind you or before you. I want to talk directly to you. I want to ask, what are you going to do with this? What are you going to do with the implications of the reality that you were created for a relationship with your creator? That Jesus wants to be the savior of your life, but he also wants to be the Lord of your life. What are the implications for your life personally? You know, it's easy to hear, to read, and then it just stays as an intellectual experience. But I want to invite you now as we enter into another time of worship to examine your heart, to ask yourself and to confess where you see, God, you're moving within me and I want to return to you. I want to find my peace, my true security, my true happiness in my relationship with you. That you would be honest with the Lord. That you would say, well, this is where I am today and that he would come in through the power of his spirit and that these words would become true to your heart. I'd like to pray. Jesus, I thank you so much for your love and for your grace. And Father, I pray that these words wouldn't just be things that we think about, 
God, that they would sink deep into our hearts, that we would recognize you as the Lord of our lives, that we would recognize that we were created for a relationship with you, that we were created for the rest, for the peace that only you can offer. May we quit, Father, trying to find peace and security in our past. May we stop surrounding ourselves with people and an environment that just appears to be good on the outside when there's still hard issues at play. Would you give us courage? Would your grace touch our hearts? Thank you, Jesus, for the good news of the gospel. But it's not about what we can do, but that what has been done for us. And I thank you, Jesus, that you paid the price. You rose from the grave. And that we can believe in you. We can put our faith in you and be restored for the relationship with our creator. I pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen.